welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. And I'm John Story. Together, we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're featuring Reza Bassi. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. All right. Welcome into the fourth episode of High Action. We're thrilled that you're joining us. It's been a really wonderful week to kind of launch our podcast and see all the great people subscribing and downloading the podcast. It really warms our heart. Isn't it great, John, that this podcast is already connecting with some people? Yeah, man. It feels great. And I'm sure learning a lot with you guys. It's been such a great experience and we're just getting going. Yeah. You know, and Will, some people have been asking me over the last week, they're like, well, what is high action? You know, what does that mean to you guys? Maybe people who aren't guitar players that are checking Mm -hmm. it out. And I always say, well, technically it's the height of the strings off the fingerboard. It's kind of how high those strings are and how much you have to push them down to get the sound of the note from the string. Mm-hmm. But you can think about it in other terms too, right? You can think about it just being resistance towards getting the result that you want. There's a lot of parallels. I think it's, I think it's a great metaphor for, I mean, you talk about high action, like the, the careers of the people that we're interviewing. You know? Totally. And you kind of get to see the choices that people have made through their lives and in their careers and the kind of resistance that they've faced in their lives. And some people want more resistance in their life to get the result that they want some people want less and that also translates to the guitar you know you might want to have a guitar with higher action that's a little bit harder to play that gets to get your sound out Mm. or you might be a guy that wants lower action and thinner strings and that maybe that gives you the result that you want it really just depends on where the person's coming from and i kind of like this parallel of action as it exists on the guitar and uh, action as the resistance that one can have in their lives. I find that really interesting. I think I can uh, recall New West's highest action gig. (laughs) in uh, I believe it was Uray, Colorado. (laughs) We were pretty high up there in that the strings were pretty high up off the fretboard. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, Colorado, God, the cannabis (laughs) is flowing in Colorado. So I think I might have been pretty high up in my mind, too. I love the story that Barney Kessel told about hanging with Freddie Green on the road for a little bit. And Freddie's, for those who aren't listening, Freddie Green was the guitarist in the Count Basie Orchestra for 50 years and is famous for his rhythm guitar playing. Barney said that the action was so high, you could fit four quarters between the strings and the frets on that guitar. (laughs) That's right. And now if we, we want to talk high action, then we should talk Freddie Green for sure. (laughs) Amen to that. Well, speaking of a guy that presents a lot of high action in terms of his thought, in terms of his depth to the guitar. Uh, the wonderful Reza Bassi is our mm. featured interview today. What a deep cat this guy is, man. Mm. Wow. I mean, it was really cool uh, to hear him speak about his artistic vision, how he approaches the guitar. And it was special for us because, you know, John and I, we went to USC, as did Rez. We're in the same department, right, John? But he was there 20 years prior to us. So he has this whole other perspective on that department from right when it was starting. It's pretty cool to hear him talk about that, wasn't it, John? Yeah, I mean, whenever we talk to other studio guitar alums, um, of course, Will, I still think of you as kind of um, 
an honorary alum, man, in a oh, lot yeah. of ways. Nice. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you, I mean, that would have been so cool to have you there exactly when we were there too. But I always feel like it, it's like I've talked to guitar players who share gigs that I've done. And there's a frater- there's just this feeling, this fraternity where we're all like, yeah, you know, this is kind of how this is. And mm-hmm. you just can kind of all go right there. Um, that department is always been such a special thing. Um, I was really excited to talk to him and, and hear what he had to share about his time there and studying with Maestro Joe DiOrio for sure. It was really neat. Uh, so for the listeners that are checking it out, you know, now he's based in New York and he has a new album out, Django Shift. It's really terrific. We talk about all sorts of things. It's kind of cool to hear him talk about the different instruments he was playing and the acoustic guitar stuff he does so well. And he's doing that on a on a Yamaha acoustic, you know, which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, that's always been one of my things about the jazz scene. I know we've talked about this a lot. It's like the guys that play steel string guitar, it's, it's not exactly like how jazz guitar really evolved. It's almost been something that's become kind of popularized in the 70s with Matheny and McLaughlin and those guys, Demiola. Uh-huh. Those guys bringing the flat top steel string guitar into jazz. And it does strike me like Rez gets a beautiful steel string guitar sound. He plays that instrument to its fullest. Um, you can tell that he's got a real concept for what he's going for, um, and it's it's really inspiring to hear other jazz musicians, modern jazz musicians, really incorporating the sound of the the flat top steel string acoustic guitar into their playing for sure. Absolutely, well, and uh, it's it's cool to see him go from the West Coast to the East Coast. There's not a lot of guys in our department that seem to have done that, and then in addition to making that move, pursued a solo career as heavily as he has. Right. Yeah, it was very cool. I mean, you know, as a guy that's tried to follow that trajectory, he's certainly been an inspiration to me and a lot of other guitar players. So thank you again for joining us on this episode. Please enjoy this interview with the wonderful Rez Abbasi. Rez, thank you so much for joining us here today, man. It's really a pleasure to see you again. Thank you, guys. I should be interviewing you. <laughs> Come on. Well, it really is an honor to have you here. Uh, it's very special for, for me because, you know, I went to USC, as did you, and, and so did John. And, you know, when we were at USC, we uh, were, were very aware of there was just a few guys that were really making their name as jazz artists. And, and you were one of them. And so I want you to know that when I came to that school in 2001, I kept thinking, okay, so who, who's kind of in the career trajectory similar to what I want to do? And you were one of the only cats, and you were one of the only cats that was doing it in New York. So to get a chance to hang with you and have the Diorio connection and now have you on the podcast, it's just all very, very cool for me. So. That's beautiful. Yeah. I thought I was just sitting on the couch practicing the whole time. <laughs> I had people like you out there in the world, you know. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's, uh, that's, well, it's nice to hear. I, I have to say that because we're so insular sometimes with our, you know, practicing and, you know, the, the, the sort of myopic way of, of, of trying to uh, progress with our music that we, at least me, we tend to s- sometimes forget, uh, you know, who I'm influencing. Uh, indirectly or directly or or if there are other people 
other than jazz fans looking to me for for inspiration and that's that's just nice to hear you know absolutely yeah no it definitely meant a lot um when we were kind of studying at sc trying to look toward the future to have your example definitely meant a lot and uh, i i know we're going to talk a lot about your album today Django Shift. Um, before we um, get into that, I just wanted to ask you just a few questions on your background. Yeah. I know you were born in Pakistan, but largely raised in Los Angeles, where you where your family moved when you were around four or so. Really basic question we ask most of our guests, but you know, what was it like for you coming up, and how did you kind of get into the guitar? You know, I I had we had piano at our house, and and I was playing a little bit of that. Not the flute, but you know that that thing, out, that instrument that all the kids play. It's it's a yeah, recorder. yeah the the recorder. Yeah, recorder. That's right. See, I don't I don't even remember the name of it. It was so uh, you know so in the background. But so I was already doing that kind of thing when I was maybe ten, nine or ten. And the family, my my father in particular, was musical. Uh, he he sang. Uh, on an amateur level, but it was still good uh, at okay. weddings and, and things like that. He wasn't being hired, but he was, you know, I would go to weddings and he would be singing and sitting in, so to speak, oh, good. band or whatever. And it sounded great. And I guess that turned into my uncle coming home with two guitars. He was staying with us at the time because the immigration thing, they were coming from Pakistan and, and they would stay with us for, I don't know, man, maybe a year or more. Okay. But uh, he was also into it. So, he came home with two guitars, I think called Global. I think they're from Sears or something. And he came in and and he, I remember him t- teaching me a surf song, okay. which had some pretty cool picking. Yeah. You know, that right hand thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then it went to the five chord and I recognize all these things, right? So, um, so my brother and I started sort of competing on who's better at guitar, you know, and, and I won that, I won that competition hands down. He was yeah. also, yeah. Um, we played a Led Zeppelin tune with the lights off. I, I remember this yeah. with the lights off and just a test. And I, I played it right on and, and he didn't. So he went into real estate and I went into, into music. And that was the, that's the sort of nutshell of the story. Um, but of course he went in first, he went into guitar, getting some guitar lessons and I, I, and then he said, I should do it also. And I, I remember one thing he said to me, which is really great. is like, when you go to guitar lessons, the teacher really expects you to focus, mm. like don't, don't mess around, you know? Yeah. And I was 11 years old. So I just re- remember that, that when I got to the guitar lessons, I needed to be there. I needed to be present. And, uh, that's a great lesson to learn and especially these days yes you know when, when you know when we all have phones i mean kids are growing up completely with with all kinds of distractions you know the phone can be very useful but really ultimately it is also one big distraction so yes um even for adults obviously but so that's essentially in a nutshell how i gained momentum in guitar and there was a little store next to us and, and a guitar music store and i would go there and start playing tunes like Anything from Kiss to whatever, when you're 11 or 12. Yeah, yeah. Aerosmith, you're playing all kinds of little tunes that you hear on the radio. So I'm sure it was very similar for you guys, yep. too. I mean, it's... Yep. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that resonates with me, and I think with everybody, is that notion of, you know, no matter where you are in your sort of academic life as a young person, when you pick up guitar, sometimes it can really help focus you, and it can make a lot of things in your life 
better. You learn about the discipline from the guitar and it transfers over to other areas of your life. And I think that's been a common experience for a lot of people that pick up the guitar and sounds like it was for you as well. And, um, yeah, any instrument really, but yeah, the guitar is, is kind of a matrix in itself. And it's, I think there's something, I mean, not to, you know, boast only about the guitar, but I think there's something special about this fact that you're really aligning these two hands together. And it's sort of this puzzle that you're constantly yes. grappling with. In fact, I was just thinking that just the other day, in fact, at my age, you know, after 40 years of playing and, and just thinking, man, this is like, this is just still a puzzle. I'm trying to yeah. sort of figure out, I'm not putting the pieces together because there's no picture. Right. Right. But it's, yeah. it's really this thing that it's a constant movable palette of ideas and, 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 and it's a movable picture, let's say. And, you're just constantly like if you're in G Lydian, that's the puzzle. You know, if you're yeah. in whatever, whatever, that's sort of the puzzle. And and you work around those 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 sonic pictures, if you will. That's yeah. beautiful. I love that. Um, fast forwarding a little bit, you end up at USC. I guess this was maybe eighties or so, early eighties, mid eighties, and you get to study with the same guy that John and I studied with, the great Joe DiOrio. Yes, yeah. Joe actually, for me, came a little later. It was Paul LaRose. I wanted to ask um, you about Paul. I know he oh, was man. instrumental in that in that scene. And yeah. tell me a little bit more about Paul, because we've heard the name so much. We've heard some guys talk about him, but he really seems like just a wonderful player and a great teacher. Right, so you guys didn't actually get a chance to... Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we'll get to Joe for sure, because he, he was monumental in, in, in other respects also, but mm -hmm. I think the reason why I say Paul is because I was 17. I went to a guitar camp right out of high school. Uh, and Paul was, it was his camp, you know, he was just the most, to this day, the most methodical teacher, uh, educator, uh, teacher is you know, almost too small of a word, but, mm. um, educator that, that I've, I've ever come across. I mean, I know that because I, I give lessons also, and I realize how much you have to, sort of shed before the lesson if you're if you're dealing with a good student a serious student how much you have to you know figure out before the lesson how, what you're going to teach this person and and here's Paul teaching us weekly every year for like a couple of years right I mean he would always just have these youth sheets in, in front of us and other than private lessons he had also this uh this guitar ensemble course with these courses they, he would just come up with all this new material and it's like i look back on it now to see some of the sheets and he was so much more organized than i am that's just one example but yeah i think i'm more of an example of what really is out there as a teacher in terms of organization than paul is you know paul was really exceptional like i mean yes he dedicated his life to teaching he wanted us the the students at the time to be the top level students he told me that i want you guys and there were some women too when i say guys i don't mean guys but i, yeah. I you know uh, everybody uh but he wanted us to be these top level students and he would be really adamant about getting the stuff together and he would call you out if you, in class if you didn't have it together and he basically kicked out uh, a few few one of my friends in fact he kicked out a few people wow. out of the department because they just weren't i mean our our finals were like okay play this mode with your pinky first starting your pinky you just have to go for it yeah okay play this with your second finger starting 
like multiple fingerings. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's rare to have a teacher of that stature uh, in in sincerity and 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 respect at 18 years old or 19 years old. And I, I was with them for a couple of years. Uh, and during that period, Joe came into the picture too. Right. Uh, yeah. Joe, Joe sort of uh, up the ante when it came to actual, I guess, jazz thinking, I, I, you know, Paul was this amazing overall sort of musician, you know, uh, he loved um, all kinds of music, folk music and, 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 you know, uh, uh, finger picking and all kinds of stuff. Um, Joe was like Mr. Jazz, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, you know, New York kind of, yeah. you know, played with all these cats and I'm here to teach you guys. So yeah. that was another very great level to have. Uh, it seems like both yeah. of these things probably worked well for you. Like Paul helped set a foundation for you that seems like it's still something that's very important to you today. And then Joe, was, yeah. Joe was adding some concept for you that maybe Paul wasn't adding in a certain way. He was adding some of that idea about improvising and connection to jazz. And what was it like kind of getting into his world? I mean, I, I know what it was like for me. It was overwhelmingly inspiring. You know, was it, did you feel that same sense of like just gravitated towards everything that Joe was doing and playing? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was really serious back then. I mean, I was kind of, unfortunately I got this girlfriend uh, <laughs> that, that sort of took me a, a little bit to the left. It, it wasn't that I was less serious about music, but it's just that I started spending more time, you know, and, and then the emotional time. And, you know, That's, so in a way I, you know, life is, you can't go back and turn it around. So it's, yeah. it's fine. Whatever happened, happened. But prior to that, and, and even during that, um, I remember, being so involved that this one, this one student couldn't make the class because he was having girlfriend issues. <laughs> and that's why I bring my situation. And, and I was just looking at him going, are you serious? You're going to, and this is even when I had a girl, are you going to, you're going to skip Joe Diorio's class for, for your girlfriend issues? Like <laughs> now I understand that. Right. I get old, I got old, you know, I became older, more mature, yeah. you know, of course. Yeah. Okay. Maybe the guy was emotional. He couldn't focus. I understand that now. But back then, I was sort of like, I'm just telling you how sort of serious I was with Joe. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Are you serious? You're going to leave this class because you have a girlfriend issue? Ugh. You know, so anyway, that was the, my judgmental mode back then. But um, <laughs> yeah, Joe, again, he was he was very organized also. So mm-hmm. I got sort of the double whammy of this organization idea um, because I've been with teachers even before that, that weren't so organized. That so, hey man, play this. Hey, yeah, yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah. We've all been there, you know. So it's it's sort of like okay. Then you get home, you're like, wow, you know. Let me listen to the tape and see what you know. But so Joe had, I remember he would come in with with sheets of chords and and all this, and uh, it was definitely inspiring. I'm sure you guys had. Oh, I yeah. had the same experience you had. Today's episode of High Action is brought to you by Marchioni Guitars. Stephen Marchioni is a luthier based in Houston, Texas. He's been building guitars since 1990. His style is extremely unique. He builds uh, classicals, arch tops, steel strings, solid bodies, and even violins. He's studied uh, makers like Jimmy DeQuisto and John D'Angelico, and his style is both a combination of modern uh, technology and design with old school tradition in terms of how archtop guitars are built. 
My 16-inch arch top I purchased in 2017 is incredible. I love playing that guitar. Um, and so if you'd like to hear more recordings of the 16-inch arch top or learn more about Marchione guitars, visit marchione.com. Yeah. So just moving forward here a little bit, I just want to try to get to some other topics here. Um, you end up making the move to New York, go to Manhattan School of Music, and I think it was around 89 or something. But after that, you moved to India, and you said you were, and, it's, and you said you were studying tabla. And I'd love to ask you more about more about studying tabla because I think there might be some intersections between tabla and guitar. So if you would just talk a little bit about your experience and what prompted both those moves, uh, I'd love to hear about that. I didn't actually move to India. I, I took a a couple months trip and hiatus to get okay. away from New York. So yeah, I mean, maybe I wish I moved to India. That would have been cool, but. It was it was two months and uh, it was just the beginning of of studying or not studying but delving higher and deeper into Indian music uh, just simply by being there. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's sort of like yeah. it's like the reason why a lot of people come to New York or New Orleans to feel what jazz is about. It's it's the mm -hmm. same kind of mindset. It's sort of like you can learn it in Milwaukee or something, but you know if you come to New York or New Orleans and really feel it and get the vibe, it's, it's just going to move inside differently. So yep. uh, I think that's a great thing for everybody to do, at least on one, one stage. Mm -hmm. So I did that with India. I just, you know, I had connections to uh, Ustad Allah Rakha, which is Zakir Hussain's father. Okay. Um, and he's, you know, a profound, you know, innovator. So being with him and, and in watching his classes, I actually didn't study the tabla with him, and I didn't I didn't uh, play tabla at the time. But one of his uh, disciples, his key disciples, Ray Spiegel, who lives out here, he was there with me. So after we came back home, I studied with him in Brooklyn for about a year. Oh, amazing! Um, and and also during that time, I was listening to a lot of this stuff. You know, um, really. Uh, bringing it in, in internally and just really listening to and going to concerts and all that. So, so it's that kind of thing. It's not as uh, romantic as it may, may seem on paper. It's not like I sat in a room for eight hours and started playing tabla for 10 years, you know, something yeah. like that. I mean, yeah. at one point I realized, you know, I think I was 25, 20, 25 at the time. At one point I realized, okay, I'm playing too much tabla. And even though I'm not playing it, systematically i am playing it a lot like i just love playing it against the metronome and whatnot yeah, yeah trying yeah. different my own internal rhythms not necessarily you know the tabla rhythms all the okay. time but uh so i i just thought to myself at one point you know i need to start writing music and getting more serious about my my vision my internal sort of musical vision uh, yes. and, and and what that's going to look like because at the time i was listening to people like bill frizzell and these these guys who just not only were great players, but just had an overall vision compositionally and what they were putting out in, in Pat Metheny, what in, in Abercrombie, Schofield, I mean, you, name, you know, you name it, yeah. just keep on, you know, actually it kind of stops there, but there's, 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 <laughs> there's, there's maybe, there's maybe one or two that I'm leaving out here, but these guys sort of had this compositional element within the, within their framework and in in their playing you know that's who they are overall not just as players Absolutely. you know they also have that obviously but so that's what that's the long 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 version of it i basically came back and i just from 
from after that year of studying tabla, I, I essentially just listened to the music. I didn't study it as as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I played with a lot of Indian classical musicians and my wife's uh, Indian uh, vocalists. And so all the stuff is in, has influenced me to this day. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And and I, I want to talk about your artistic vision, but let me just first dial back into um, tabla playing because I'm wondering if, if you feel the same way I've felt. I've played a lot of drum set. And even after, oh, wow. about, even after about 15, 30 minutes of playing drums, if I come back to the guitar, I feel something a little different. Like I feel like a connection rhythmically that I maybe didn't have 15 or 30 minutes ago. Do you feel that when you're playing tabla and then you get back to your guitar, do you feel like there's some sort of rhythmic strength that you've gained? If I recall, yeah. I mean, um, th- there's no doubt, but I can feel that also if I just clap to a metronome. I don't have to physically play an instrument. I mean, my, the hands are an instrument, you know? Yes. In, 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 Kuali, in Kuali music, for instance, which is uh, Indian Pakistani music, you know, the clap, they, they have a special clap. It's not like just this. It's there's a, there's a pop to it, mm-hmm. and so that's that's a real that's a real instrument also. So yeah. so I agree with you. You know, there, there's something about the drum set that might be even more interesting because you're using all the limbs at the same sort of the same time. But yeah. if you don't play drum set and you don't have you know access to one, <laughs> yeah, right. If you don't access if you don't have access to one, then playing with the metronome, like what I tell some of my students is get off the guitar for a while and just sing freely to, to a metronome and, and, and make sure you're marking the downbeat. So you know that, you know, you're, you know, essentially within the framework of 16 beats or whatever you want right, to do. Right. And, and, and just sing freely. Don't, don't try just and rush and, and, and go behind the beat and beyond the beat on the beat and feel it with the rhythm, rhythm of the metronome, and then play the guitar. Yeah, I mean, the guitar technically is such an interesting instrument with your hands. It's not like piano where you really can be so percussive. You have to almost caress the instrument in a way, you know, with your left hand and then learn how to articulate with the fingers. I mean, it's it can be a little tricky. So I think those elements that help you get into a rhythmic zone. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, certainly helps transfer. I'm I'm still you know even at this point I'm still impressed with anybody who can play the guitar the way I know Perry you know you're playing I play with you but so you know this is what I'm saying I mean you know when when Perry and I played it's like I remember walking away being impressed by your ability to um, you know bring these two hands together you know and 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 let it roll you know and it's sort of like not everybody can do that, but a lot more people can, can get, get to that level now, it seems like. The youngsters are watching YouTube videos, and by the yeah. time they're 17 or 18, they're already kind of doing that. But, but in your case, obviously, there's, there's this musical heightened level that was great also, and uh, I'm still impressed, you know? <laughs> wow. That definitely means a lot means a lot coming from you. Um, oh, yeah. I, you touched on it a little bit, but talking about your artistic vision and how composition sort of related to all that to help you sort of create your focus. The question I wanted to ask you, and I, I can be a little bit of a, of a loaded question here, but in regards to the, you know, making your, making your way in the New York scene and trying to be a, sort of an original voice, and in your case, more of a modern, progressive jazz guitarist on the scene, kind of in the way that 
people like Miles Okazaki are, or Mary Halverson. And my question is, that can be a hard road sometimes. You know, it can be hard to not sort of fit into the box that the jazz world sort of neatly wants you to be in. What are some of the things that helped you sort of persevere through that? Because I think there are probably a lot of people listening that might want to do those kinds of things. And, you know, what, what can you say to, to sort of advice for people that want to follow that original path? Yeah, you know, the, that's, a, that's a tough, you're right, it is a loaded question. I mean, it's, um, it's not really, really a choice, you know, it's, and I don't want to be cliched about it, but sure, no. uh, I don't think it is a choice. It's, it's a, for me, it's not about defining where the gauge is, you know. I mean, if you happen to be great at playing standards like Peter Bernstein, for instance, you know, um, something like Rodney Jones, who's also very articulate at that at that sort of jazz vocabulary. Mm -hmm. If that's where you find yourself, that that's that's we all need that too. So it's not a matter of uh, you know making a distinctive choice of 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 what you want or where you want, but it's more about listening to you know cliche your heart. You know, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's connecting the mind and, and, and heart together rather than just focusing on the mind. Because sometimes I have to say, some people you can hear some people trying trying too hard. Also, sure, oh yeah, uh, and it's sort of like they want to be hip, so mm -hmm. they're going there, and then you listen to their music, and okay, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it, it, it you know it's it's a mind thing. It's it's and, and I mean an ego thing, not ego, like egotistical, mm -hmm. but ego meaning that a needing, a needing of something, a needing to be accepted, a needing to, uh, you know, a need to be uh, desired, I guess, you know, that's, that's a ego area that we don't talk about as sure, much, but sure. that's the answer. I don't know if there is an answer to that other than what I, you know, if you want to talk about no, understood. I I, I I love the notion of it's it's not really a choice. You know, it's sort of just connecting. You know, the music that you have in your heart and letting it come out. I guess I'm just wondering. In a sense, it seems like it can be more challenging to to sort of start out original and not fit in that box. And at this point, you know, you've you've kind of made it through. You know, you've you're on downbeat critics polls. You're widely recognized. You're featured at you know New York Guitar Festival lots of albums under your own name. You've kind of made it through, but originally at the beginning, there might've, might've been more difficult. I'm imagining. Well, it still is though. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, again, it may look good on paper, but man, I'm struggling. I mean, in terms of, you know, I mean, now we all are obviously because <laughs> of the pandemic. So, but even before the pandemic, I mean, you would think this is the thing I, that I struggle with jazz in general as a career. And, you know, because sometimes you get, your students asking, "Oh man, so how do I do it to make this?" And yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's first of all, it's different for everybody. But 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 second of all, it's like you would think the, the way you describe me. I mean, I don't I don't describe myself like that, but that's fine. I'll take it. You know, the way you describe me now with those downbeat things and the and the, you know, fifteen records and all that uh, originals mostly. But that's all good. But the industry itself doesn't really always, I mean, sometimes, but most often doesn't really reward that kind of thing. That's, that's like, what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to get at a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really reward uh, this thing. I mean, I'm still sometimes begging for gigs and, and, and I just, I don't do it anymore because it's like, okay, if you don't want it, you don't want it. I mean, yeah. but 
you know, you know, now, now just to, just to couple that with some positivity, there are other things that happen that are much more positive also, like, like this Django shift record, uh, Peter Williams from Freight and Salvage. He's, yeah. he's he yeah. recognizes. Yeah, you guys have played there, right? Yeah, yeah we know Peter. Yeah, yeah, he's he's incredible. And Peter used to book Yoshi's for a long time. I grew up in the Bay Area, and so I used to go to Yoshi's. You know, in the late '90s, mid '90s, when I was really trying to check this stuff out, and he was curating that schedule. So he he's yeah, a pretty yeah. important yeah, guy, yeah. and I think he understands the value of what you're talking about. And yeah, no, to, I played Yoki's with, with him curating it a, a couple of times. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's a, you know, he's an exception to the rule, I think. Definitely. Yeah. And, and just to add to what you're talking about, you know, I, I was curious to sort of hear you speak about how that road can be a little bit difficult when you're really putting out your original thing. I want you to know that for me listening to it, it means so much. Uh, I love the new album. I love your vision. I love what you're doing. It's it's so refreshing to hear something that I haven't really heard before, <laughs> you know, and it sounds killing. Yeah, so this is uh, your new album, Django Shift, out on Whirlwind Records. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you're using a Washburn steel string on most of this album, right? Uh, no, no, actually, um, the Washburn... Uh, custom is custom shop, so it's a little bit more expensive than the. Than that, but uh, yeah, it's a steel string. But it, I took off the frets. I had the frets taken off, so it's okay. a fretless guitar. That's um, yeah. And I'm actually using that on two tunes. The oh, okay. other tunes, I'm using a Yamaha, believe it or not. Uh, and not to put down Yamaha, but it's, it, this is this is a very good guitar, man. I mean, Sounds I was great. surprised. I rented it in the UK on a tour, and I just asked from a pawn shop, and I said, "Can I buy it from you?" And, Gave it to me for like 400 bucks or something like that. And I, I brought it back home and it happens to be my favorite guitar out of, you know, I've tried many expensive guitars and this thing just resonates. I mean, let's play a track here. Um, this is the third track from the album. Uh, I think it's called Heavy Artillery. Now, these are most of the songs on the album are, are rarely known Django Reinhardt songs that you sort of reimagined with your trio. Uh, it's a really great concept. And here's a little bit of heavy artillery from Reza Bassi's album, Django Shift. Thank you. 
love that. Yes. You don't get jangle out of that, but yeah, that was just that was sort of the tag out of uh out of the whole tune. Yeah. Um I wanted to feature the keyboard player on that particular tune more. So I was just kind of riffing at the end. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's hard to hear yourself, but you know how it is. Oh, totally. But <laughs> I, like, I part of the reason I wanted you know, to play that track is because you have such a beautiful touch with your right hand uh that, you know the, like it's it's not like you're digging in too hard but you're articulating everything really clearly can you talk a little bit about that i mean it's really hard to kind of keep that sort of balance and soft touch when you're rolling and playing with a band so you did it so well it sounds so great on that you know it's interesting you say that because that was a difficult solo for me i did a few takes with the band i mean i didn't i don't think i i don't really overdub anything it's sort of like we just let's do another take, and yeah. I remember one or two other takes I really didn't like, and I struggled with exactly what you're saying if, yeah. to put everything on the table here, which is like you know the drummer, you know, because in the headphones, man, recording is such a bit is such a pain to sometimes. In the headphones, you know, you have the drums to the level where he's hitting hard, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. And it's not too loud, but it's like medium, and it's like you can really hear it. Then on the soft part like this, the drums come so down on the headphones, it's like you're barely hearing anything. So you're trying to communicate with the drummer at the same time. You want to be in the pocket, and at the same time, you're, you're trying to say something and not overpick. So this was because you can't pick too hard when, when you can barely hear the drums, right? Yeah. So on this particular tune, it's interesting you played that. That was probably the hardest solo of the whole record for me. Really? Wow. Yeah, because of exactly what you said. Wow. Because you, you got to play very lightly and yet you want to project, but you don't want to, you don't want to overpick or you don't want to underpick. And it's that weird middle ground that's almost surprising in the middle of a studio session. Like, mm -hmm. oh shoot, man, this is. It sounds so know. good. I want to play uh, one more clip from this record before I pass it off to John. I know he has uh, uh, some questions for you, as does Will. This is from the first track on the album. This is Diminishing, which is a Django tune, which I didn't know any of these Django tunes. I got to go, yeah. after I've listened to your album, which I'm like 90% through, I'm going to go back and listen to some of these Django tunes, and then I'm going to get the full picture. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that. You should, you should listen that. to the originals, man. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, you, I had to. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> yeah I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it, but I listened to like hours of Django for like a couple weeks and just... All right. Which tune do I want? Which tune? And there's 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 a ton of them, man. It's yeah. like woo. some deep cuts that's too. That's that's really cool. Seven or nine of them, picked, you know. Here's one more track from Django Shift uh, from Rezabasi. This is diminishing. This is a little clip from it here. Let's play this in.
<laughs> Fantastic. So burning. Um, oh, thank you, man. Yeah. yeah, it just sounds sounds so good, man. Thank you for putting this one out here. Uh, I have one more clip from the album. I'm going to save it uh, sort of towards the end here, but I want to okay. pass it off to John here. Uh, John's story, I know, has some questions for you, Rez. Thanks, Rez. Yeah, and again, to have you on High Action is a real honor, man. You're such a unique um, artist beyond just the guitar. Um, and I had a couple kind of guitar related questions and a couple music questions for you. Um, I'm really fascinated with players who experiment with fretless instruments. Um, in particular as guitarists, you know, we spend so many years honing our craft on a guitar that's got frets with all the pitches that are very clearly heard talking about music from North India and Pakistan and how that music is performed. So is that kind of something like your hair, your cultural heritage that inspired you to maybe experiment with, with fretless instruments? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it I really like um, an, in, an instrument called the Sarod. It's probably my favorite instrument altogether. I love the sitar also, but it's almost, there's something about the sitar that's almost overblown at this point. It's like you hear it in so many things. But of course, when you get the great sitar players, all that goes away. And <laughs> so you're yeah. like, oh my God, this is incredible. Right. But there's something about the sarod, which is sort of like this, it's strange because it's sort of like a, a magnified banjo, but it's got such a thick sound, you know, because it's got that metal all, all around it. And, you know, I've seen uh, Ali Akbar Khansab play, you know, uh, several times and, so it, it definitely could have been that, but I think it's something to do with just knowing that there are microtones out there that are to be dealt with and that we're not going to really be able to do that on fretted instruments at all. In fact, I mean, you can bend, but bending is, you know, we probably all use kind of thick strings, so it's not easy to always, always bend either. But right. so it was just sort of... Um, uh, a feeling that that I wanted to experiment with something, but there's no doubt about it. It has something to do with that nature of maybe South Asia. Right, right. Um, I'm curious. We have a mutual connection. Um, I've known Stephen Marchioni since probably 99 or 2000. I met him in high school at a guitar festival in Oregon, and then we've been in touch for 15, 16 years. I finally sprung and got one of his guitars a couple oh, years wow. ago. Yeah, I have. A, oh, I, have I see a, that. I see the. I see yeah, the headstock. I see the headstock. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, all you need to see. Exactly. Either it's a DeQuisto or a Marchione, right? <laughs> but um, but yeah, he um, you know, he's such a cool guy and and a and a really interesting guitar maker, and in that he makes such a wide array of instruments from classical guitars even violins to arch tops. Yeah, no, he's incredible. Yeah, and he's built a couple fretless instruments. I'm curious, have you played those or developed those with him or checked those out? No, no, I haven't. I mean, uh, I didn't. First of all, I didn't. I, I, I think there was one person who uses his fretless guitar, but it's electric. I think so. Yeah. So here's the thing: I'm not interested in electric fretless guitars. Ah. Um, mm -hmm. For some reason, I, I, I just feel like when it goes to fretless guitar, it's got to be acoustic for me, because there's this nuance that you really get from the wood, and 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 I mean, you can hear it on the record, Django Shift, when you right. close mic it. You're not dealing with amplifiers and all that. You hear this thing with the fingers. Right. Uh, and that's that's essentially the only reason to use a fretless guitar for me. Yeah, and this is the perspective on high action that we're really interested to talk to players about because it's really about hearing the instrument and hearing it a certain way. And, uh, we, we're good friends with Fareed Hawk. We've done some concerts with him. I know he's played um, some acoustic fretless instruments. I've never really had the chance to sit down with one 
Um, but I think Will and Perry and I, that's one of the fun things about the New West Guitar Group is even though we're playing jazz guitars, we're playing through amps and pedals, we're really an acoustic ensemble. We really hear the acoustic part of the instrument. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's coming from our straight ahead jazz roots, but all of us grew up playing a lot of acoustic guitar. It's certainly something that fascinates us and is really kind of the heart the warmth of the ensemble is the are these acoustic guitar parts. You know, just my other last question before I pass it over to Will here um, was as actually speaking on you doing a film score to the silent film this past year. I'm always curious talking to guitar players who do film scoring. I've worked a little bit with David Torn. He's done a lot of that. Leo Brower, of course, was an iconic classical guitarist who did a lot of film scoring. And I love Leo Brower's scores. But I checked out some of the clips that are up online and it's really interesting music. And this was commissioned for the New York Guitar Festival or was this commissioned from some people bringing this film back to life? Because this film is from 1929, correct? Right, exactly. Yeah, um, no, David Spellman from the New York Guitar uh, Festival. I'm, I've become friends with him actually. And uh, he commissioned it after he saw a trio of mine. We did a, a fundraiser event for uh, WNYC and I had tabla and upright bass and, and guitar. And it was sort of thrown together before this, but we did it and he really enjoyed it. And he was like, man, I want you to do this. And he gave me a really nice amount of money and I was able to record it with that money. So great. Uh, as well as obviously perform it live. That, that was the idea to perform it live. Right. As for the listeners on the podcast, is there a place people can check this out um, online? Yeah, actually, um, you know what? If you go to my website, uh, Tone a guitar tone, res tone, R-E-Z. Um, perfect match for you guys here. Um, yeah. You can see the whole film with the score, right? but it's a private link. Right. You can find it on YouTube, but it is the YouTube link, and you can through, through my website you can go. When I was writing it, I really knew it was going to have to be a standalone score. In other words, I wanted to release it without the film, and that's, that's why I did. But the main thing, it had to engage with the film and enhance the film also. So... I was really working with these these balancing effects of like, okay, I want to show myself, and 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 that's why there's some soloing and all, you know, you know, Got blowing it. in there. It's, it's definitely jazz influence. Yeah, it's very cool, and people should for sure check it out. It's really cool to connect with you, man, and and to get to hear hear you. I'm I, I'm so excited to go check out more of your recordings too. Well, absolutely, and and I I forgot I definitely heard you on some videos with some people. I can't recall at this point, but I I loved it. So thanks, man. I, I'm sure you're playing you're playing with a bunch of people, but uh, your name and and sound comes up. Thanks, dude. Well, again, great to meet you, and and I know Will has some questions for you here too. Yeah, yeah. man. I I just would love to start by saying I I love the way you utilize acoustic sound. Um, and like, you know, the acoustic guitar. And I mean, I think that I'm sure you would agree. I, I've done some acoustic albums with an ensemble. It's it's much more doable in the studio than live, as New West Guitar Group knows. <laughs> trying to get a good acoustic sound live is like if you have a drummer, it's almost like, you know what, let's. <laughs> um, so I love that you utilize that. And and then to contrast that, you know, your electric playing. Um, I saw you at the Alternative Guitar Summit in 2018 at the Jazz Gallery. Oh, oh wow, yeah. you were there. Yeah, yeah, it was a great show, man. And I remember you were playing your your red semi-hollow, Marchione, and you have a beautiful sound and singing tone. And I remember feeling it was distinct in like the delay you use. And, and uh, um, just on some recordings I was listening to this morning, I heard that same delay. So you have a, a wide sonic palette 
that you add to your music, which, you know, again, very refreshing. As Perry said, it's like a breath of fresh air hearing that, that unique sound. All right. So enough compliments, but I'd love to ask (laughs) you about your songwriting because your music is very unique and individual. Yeah, I guess I don't, I guess, well, first of all, I don't see it as songs, (laughs) but, but that's, I totally get what you're saying, but you know, this is the thing. Ever since I was going to USC and stuff, I just felt like writing compositions was as important as playing standards or playing, even playing non-standards, but playing music. And I think Paul LaRose, once again, you know, really heightened that kind of sensibility in, in, in me. Um, you know, he was influenced by, uh, you know, people like Pat Metheny and Jocko, who we went to school with. And those guys were already, I mean, especially Pat was already like, you know, finding himself within this this uh, this compositional vibe. It's like a genre he created, right? So that was sort of like this bar that was that was there for me, right in front of me. And, and, and to think that, you know, I'm going to just be a player and not actually sort of utilize this compositional element uh, didn't didn't fly with me. So I started honing in on on, on music that was very much uh, compositional at the time, like a lot stuff not only from Blue Note, obviously, but from labels like ECM and uh, and classical music. And, you know, there's nothing that I did so specifically to get me there other than really listen to people's music, you know, and, and really take it in and, and, and be aware of what, you know, like what the music is saying, sort of taking a step back from soloing and all the things that we, you know, we, we, we tend to focus on as students and take a step back and, and say, well, what, 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 other than the great solos on this, what is the vibe I'm feeling? You know, it's a question, right? So like, what am I feeling here? Why am I attracted to this? These kind of why questions are very uh, understated, but they're very important. I think that sort of draws attention to a, a different um, area of, of, of vibe, I guess, or of music than, than I'm, than I was trained to be. Hmm. drawn to you know it shows man and i i you know i can speak for all three of us we appreciate your you know commitment to being honest with the music not just the music but even the sounds that you want to put into the world it is very refreshing and inspiring in a in a sea of endless music that we're all you know exposed to i'm also curious you you have good insight across at least a couple generations where do you see creative music going or where have you seen it going? The business is really, is really uh, taking a toll on the creativity, I think, of music. And that's in jazz, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, the people they're hyping up in jazz, it's like, really? You know, I mean, some of them deserve it. And then some of them are just like hype. And then everybody seems to just go for that, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's become evident you know and it's 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 really not it's it's not really helping the creative juices more people are doing things that they probably don't want to do to make a living right now uh, and that's part of it of course but you know i'm i'm not an authority on all the stuff that's out there right now so i can't really comment to that right. but from what i hear there are some very beautiful creative things happening at the same time there's a lot of sort of a repetitive same old same old things happening too mm-hmm. and you're bound to stumble on probably more of that than the creative stuff because the creative stuff takes takes effort to go out and 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 grapple with and listen to you know it takes and 
it, it takes someone who really wants it to, to go out and hear it, especially a jazz fan. And now we have so many things coming to us all the time in terms of not only music, but Netflix and these things. And, you know, that it's, it's changed our brain a little bit, you know, it's and, and most people, you know, most people aren't really diligent enough to like sort of realize that or aware, let's say enough to, to realize that they're just being fed stuff. Uh, and it's not a put down on them. It's, it's humanity, right? It's just, that's the way we sometimes work. So, you know, it's sort of like, it takes a special person to say, wait, wait, I, I don't want to listen to that. No, don't give me that. I'm going to go over here and check it out just because everybody's checking that out. I'm moving over here. Right. And that's what I like to do. And that's maybe too much thinking on my part, but you know, if everybody's talking about this new record, it already is a red flag to me. And I'll eventually listen to it. And usually I'm confirmed in my own, you know, in my own intuition, like, okay, yeah, it's, Man, That's I appreciate it, and I and thank you for setting an example. I mean, like you know, like we said, your music really is so great to listen to, and it demands attention, and it's beautiful, man. And and your sonic palette is huge. So give it back to Perry. I think we have one more song we'd yeah. like to play. But man, thank you. What a great, inspiring interview. So Rez, I'd love to uh, feature uh, the second track on your album just for a second here. Swing Forty Two, another deep Django oh. cut. And then I have um, I have a very important question to ask you about afterwards. So okay, here's the here's the track, uh, Swing Forty Two from Reza Bassi's new album, Django Shift.
is. Wow. Dude, that's some that's some four to the floor swing right there, yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it sounds so so incredible. I love the communication between the trio. Uh, your playing is phenomenal. The way you can go between your ideas and the technique. It's all we've been talking about it for the last hour. So if people are still curious, definitely download this album or buy it, however you do it. I always suggest Bandcamp. Maybe you would as well, Rez. But that's a great way to directly support artists. Again, this is uh, Reza Bossi's album, Django Shift, and it is really, really happening. So the last question I wanted to ask you, Rez, uh, is sort of in regards to something that you told me when we were driving back from the maestro Joe DiOrio's oh. house. We were we were coming you back heavy stuff there. <laughs> coming back a uh, nice little two hour drive after about four hours of hanging with Mr. Diorio and we were kicking things around, getting into figuring out all the problems in the world. And you know, Rez, you said something that stuck with me. You're like you're like, Yeah, well, you know, guitar is obviously the most difficult instrument in jazz. And <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it, I guess, in that until you mentioned that, but Ever since then, I've been thinking about. It. I was like, you know, that might be. This might be true. Uh, the guitar presents so many unique challenges, especially within the world of jazz and improvising and connecting with a band. Do you still feel that way? And you know, what are you doing to overcome it these days? <laughs> well, that sounds like sarcasm to me. The way I, in context, I don't know if we were talking seriously or. Um, it is definitely one of the the harder instruments in jazz okay <laughs> for, for a variety of reasons but i mean i've argued with people about that and there's no reason to argue because a saxophone player will tell you that you know that what they're doing is hard and i believe it too you know a piano player would say that so i i would say through my experience i can only really say how difficult it has been uh and i don't see other people like piano players at least i don't see it uh, piano players or saxophone players struggling the same way I see a lot of guitar players struggling, just yep. Yep. not even me, but just watching, yep. you know, uh, with technique, with tone, with, um, with sort of time. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess time. I mean, you know, I mean, there are a lot of great guitar players, so it's, it, you would think that that's not true either, but, um, and it's not, any one guitar player. It's just the nature of the beast, I guess. And uh, it's getting better. It's, it's like, you know, we are coming up levels for sure. I mean, you get, yes. you get people, Definitely. there's so many great guitar players now. Um, and not, not only Schofield and Holsworth and these obvious, obvious people, but there are a lot of youngsters too that are great. And uh, so it's a different thing now, but I wouldn't take that to heart necessarily, <clears throat> you know, in terms of spreading that, to, 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 to get, you know, you know, young. I've already, young I've already told half the New York uh, jazz community and I credited <laughs> you, Rez. So, you know, if you, if you feel any pushback it might be because of that. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it is a damn hard instrument. And I've even heard people like, you know, sometimes a horn player might pick up the guitar and say, Man, how do you do this? This is so hard. So even they, they have said that to me. So, it's like in my head, it's sort of like, yeah, it's kind of tough, but there are ways around it. Obviously, listening to everybody's playing here, you know, you guys have all discovered ways to get around that sort of, and it's more of a technical thing I think I'm talking about. Not I agree. A, a I agree. Musical thing. I agree. You know? 
like up-tempo stuff. Yeah. Just to get these two hands, you know, really jiving at the same time is, is, is that's just one example. I, I agree. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, if there are obstacles on this instrument that maybe are not present on saxophone or piano, I think it just creates um, stronger players that ultimately are the people that persevere through that and find a way around it or try to somehow overcome those those obstacles and and you yeah. are you are certainly one of them you've o- overcome those obstacles and you have all the freedom of your ideas coming out and articulating them with your hands and it's it's really inspiring yeah. to hear this res come back for me too you know i mean it, it's it, um, from for all of us and uh, i mean i didn't mention but i will plug it but uh, i have a book that came out a couple of years ago, uh, ago called uh, new dimensions and jazz guitar and it has a whole chapter on this idea of bringing the left and right hand together simultaneously Mm -hmm. and there are a few exercises that have helped me sort of escalate past that obstacle every time i have it because if i don't play for a few days there's that obstacle (laughs) well it has been really incredible to have you as a guest on high action res thank you for sharing your music with us it's been a pleasure to have you here Thank you again. Have a great day, and uh, we'll stay in touch, my man. Absolutely. Thanks, I look forward to hearing. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to hearing all you guys down the line too. Thanks so much. Thanks yeah. a lot, Rez. Take care. Yeah, absolutely. See you soon. Bye bye. All right. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.